This is David and David on Real Estate. Join us as we explore the ins and outs of the real estate market and dive deep to understand the issues affecting buyers, sellers, investors, and businesses. If you love real estate as much as we do, sit back, relax, and gain an insider's edge to the exciting world of real estate. David Gorski is a broker and the owner of Sutton Summit Realty, a boutique brokerage providing guidance to over 180 realtors. And David Corman is a partner at Corman's LLP, a boutique law firm focusing on residential and commercial real estate transactions with offices located in Toronto, Mississauga, and Markham. Good morning. Welcome to David and David on Real Estate podcast number nine. nine. <laughs> Amazing. Yep. Thank well, you for joining uh, us this morning. We're super excited to uh, spend the next hour with you guys and talk about all the latest issues on real estate. Yeah, it's a, a beautiful day. We've had some great weather lately. Everybody's getting into the uh Spring, getting into summer mode, enjoying some weather, there's lots of activity out there. People are enjoying the outdoors and getting out. So what's what's going on in the market this week, David? Well, the main numbers are in. And uh, um, when we whenever we look at statistics, we always have a reference point. So we always compare it to May of last year, right? However, if you remember, David, May of 2020 was a really difficult time for real estate we were uh, at the beginning of COVID, people weren't really sure really what to expect, uh, but I did wanna go over a couple of numbers just to really highlight what our market is doing and how strongly we've rebounded compared to where we were uh, at the same time last year. So in May of 2020 in Mississauga, we had 407 uh, transactions done compared to May of 2021, where we had 1,066. So almost a 600 uh, unit increase, which represents 162% increase uh, over May of 2020. So um, really strong month. The average price also jumped quite a bit. Uh, it jumped from an average of 760,000 to 965,000 for May of 2021. So that represents a 27% increase. Now, of course, during COVID, the market really slowed and you know the, the type of transactions that were happening were um, you know all the people that really had to come to the market if they've previously sold uh, or if there was some sort of an emergency type situation they were forced to sell those were the transactions that we saw happening and I remember at the beginning of COVID uh, you know buyers are really trying to uh, to get a deal to to really. Uh, push their weight around and, and, and to really secure a deal. And, and sellers were really digging in. They weren't really selling. And those that were selling, um, you know, were selling a little bit of a discount. So that's why we're seeing that huge price increase. But it's a great sign. I, I mean, 965 average in Mississauga over all property types. That includes condominiums, semi-detaches, townhouses, and, and the detached market as well. Wow. Now, if we break that down, and we take, take a look at the detached housing market, the average um, detached house in Mississauga sold for 1.551,000, uh, 
$1,551,000, which is just an astronomical number for an average price of a detached house in Mississauga. Yeah, that's, that's really unbelievable. And when you look at what you're getting for a million five, like it's, you're, you're not getting into a mansion or anything like that. You're, you're talking about uh, semis and townhouses and small detached homes that are, that are in the million to million and a half price range on things. It's really unbelievable. And obviously this isn't sustainable. We're not going to have another 27% increase in purchase price over the next 12 months, I don't think, because... <laughs> you know, you, you just can't keep going at that pace. So some of it, I guess, is a correction uh, or, or sort of because of the, the market that we had a year ago and people are holding back and want to get out there, you know, their plans are all delayed and then all of a sudden things open up a little bit and now they're getting out there and you got all these bidding wars and the buyers seem to be way ahead of the sellers. There's a lot of buyers out there, but there wasn't a lot on the market. The sellers hadn't put, put their properties up. So it just creates this bidding frenzy that just artificially pushes prices up, right? That can't continue. It's already not continuing. Yeah, I mean, we're already coming down from the high that we had probably about mid-March of 2021 is when we had the peak uh, and, and real estate prices were at the highest. And we're seeing the market ease off. And, uh, you know, when, you, when we take a look at historical numbers, the house prices in, in the GTA double every 10 years on average, right? And then the market kind of peaks, uh, peaks down and peaks up and peaks down. And then we have these big, big increases in prices and then the market sort of stabilizes. So when, when you look at a chart over a 10 year period, it goes up like this, but in the immediate future, you know, the market fluctuates up and down. That's why I strongly encourage everybody when they're buying real estate, to buy from a long-term perspective, right? And when you buy from a long-term perspective, these little peak and valleys that happen in the short time, uh, you know, are not that important. Right, and, and what happens in, in the GTA is the valleys are shorter than the peaks. And that's why there's a trend up. So when it comes down a little bit, it's a slight down. And then when it goes back up, it, it beats the, the price that it was at before. And that's why it's a gradual increase in price all the time. And, and we never seem to have a sustained down market in the GTA. There's certain pockets sometimes, uh, you know, where you might get that for a period of time. Uh, like we saw that a couple of years ago with new construction with some of the de detached homes that uh, were bought in two, three years later when they were finished construction, they, they didn't hold their values in certain places in, in Markham in particular, we saw that quite a few places in that but, that, but even that was sort of temporary. So if you happen to be closing right then, it was a real problem because all of a sudden you couldn't, lenders weren't giving you the, the value of your purchase price. They were giving you an, a new appraised value, which for a period of time was way below the purchase price. And that created a big issue. But these, these issues tend to be temporary in GTA. Unfortunately, some people have you know, it becomes a timing issue when they're closing at the wrong time. Yeah, absolutely. I, I just wanted to get into the average sale price in Oakville for a detached house uh, in the month of May was one million eight hundred fifty-five thousand. Wow. Um, and Milton uh, for a detached house was one million three hundred thirty-five thousand dollars. So. Um, you know, these, these prices, I mean, it's, uh, you know, they're not building land anymore. 
and detached houses seem to be uh, really appreciating value quite a bit. But a lot of the other products are really catching up fast as well. And you know, when you look at the new builders, the spaces are getting smaller and more compact. And you know, even townhouses are now being built without backyards, right? And you know, they're building them with rooftop patios instead of backyards to uh, get more on on on. Uh, to build more condensed and, and get more living space on, on smaller lots as well. So, you know, moving forward, the trends in real estate are, are definitely, um, you know, continuing on the same path where, uh, you know, we're, we're, we're moving towards a more smaller footprint. Um, and, and these detached houses that, that are on bigger lots are, are commanding more and more money uh, as time goes on. Yeah, and it's interesting. It's, there's so much construction you see when you drive around that, uh, you know, when you when you see a new project come, you see, you see a row of five or six houses all of a sudden going down, and something's going to be developed there. It seems like more and more of that is townhouse type of construction because uh, they want to get the density in there, and then, like you say, they're limited in space. But but right now, creating some outdoor space is really important for people too. And, and having that type of rooftop deck space is a is brilliant. Like it's a great use of space because before, you know, small townhouse lots, people were basically paving over their backyards or putting or decking their full yards. It wasn't a big yard anyways. No. And now they're now instead of doing it back there, they're doing it on the rooftop and having a bit of a view and a different feel to it. Still get their barbecue, still get their their lounge chairs and their table with the umbrella and things like that, but different use of space. Yep. But I think there's a lot of value right now. People want to have some of that outdoor space. Yeah. And I think it's a really smart way of constructing David, because I mean, the roofs were dead space anyways, right? Like, I mean, you couldn't go up into the roof and, 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 and really do anything, but like, I mean, right. if you think about, you know, South Mississauga, anywhere south of Dundas and Oakville, which is built all mainly like the new Oakville, uh, less than three years old is, is north of Dundas, but anything that's uh, older than three years old is south of Dundas. As uh, when you get to a three-story roof location, you have beautiful panoramic views of the lake in most instances, right? So why not take advantage of that? The other thing is because you're in an elevated position, um, you don't have 50 windows looking down at you as you're sitting exactly. in the backyard, right? So exactly. you have a sense of privacy. So when you go up into the roof, even though, yes, you might have neighbors, like if you think about it, you only have neighbors from two sides, but you don't have, you know, 20 windows staring down, looking at, you know, what you're drinking, what you're eating, what you're doing. And, 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 you know, you do have a sense of privacy. So I, I mean, I really like rooftop patios and I think it's a good use of space. Yeah, I, I think so too. It, it's a different feeling when you're up there because you're down on ground level, you do feel like you're enclosed in and you feel like everybody's looking at you and you're up top. Yeah, you might you know have some neighbors pretty close to you up there. It's just like being in a condo and you've got a balcony and you might have people in the balcony beside you and there's some sort of barrier, but you sort of, you know, they're there, you know, when they're there, but it's still different when you're looking out over top of other properties and everything as opposed to being surrounded. And, and I think more and more people are going to it and you know, builders picked up on this pretty quickly and that seems to be the design. And you look around when townhouses are being built now, it seems like everyone's a flat top roof. It's not the peak roofs anymore. It's a, a different design for that purpose. So it's, it's quite interesting. And then the, the construction costs of a flat roof is higher, right? 
But when you factor in the cost saving of being able to build additional units because you're not using backyard space, you're putting the backyard on the roof, then right. it's a substantial saving for, uh, for the builders. They can probably get twice as many townhouses on the same number of land, right? Because they build them back to back and yeah. the, uh, they use the uh, rooftop for the backyard space. So it's actually a great way of building and getting more space on, onto uh, less land and making the products more affordable. There's a Minto uh, community north of Dundas in Oakville and three bedroom uh, townhouses. And I mean, they're built beautifully uh, with a rooftop uh, terrace are selling uh, over a million dollars, right? Wow. So, I mean, that, that tells you, you know, how in demand these products are. Um, but, you know, people are very open to the idea and, and, and it, it, it's a great product. Yeah. Well, interesting, interesting development, interesting change in the way, uh, the way things are evolving and construction is going and everything. Um, I went to look at a sort of an infill site, uh, Shepherd and well, Bayview and Young area in the middle of the city a few days ago, I took a drive out there because I've, I've got a bunch of clients in there, like they're surrounded by some high-rise condominiums and a bunch of um, new townhouse development and, and they were approached for their lots and these small little semi-detached properties uh, that are probably, you know, 80 years old and, um, and now a builder has bought up like the block pretty much. So about eight units and we're acting on, on six out of the eight units. And it's amazing the price that these people got for their semis, for these little semis, because it's part of a, of a, of a new townhouse project that's gonna be built there. They'll replace these eight lots with uh, uh, these eight semis with, with about 25 townhouses, the way they can construct them. And, uh, and these, these people that have been in these homes, some of them have been there for a long time and they all got paid more than double what their property is really worth. If they just went to the market just to sell and move out, um, it, it's unbelievable uh, what, they, what they receive just because they're in a development area. Yeah, so. it's all about zoning. I mean, you know, there's uh, uh, an owner of a gas station and I mean, this story may headline news, but this gas station was sold for $4 million uh, I think three years ago and nobody wanted to touch it because you know the gas station wasn't doing well and all these gas station owners are like oh you know what the numbers don't make sense the numbers don't make sense yeah. and then the investor bought the gas station changed the use to high-rise development and flipped it a year and a half later for 40 million dollars wow. right but i mean right you know it, again like there's so many different uses of land and knowing the highest and best use based on the zoning and being able to engage the right team and uh, the land uh, development team and being able to you know, go in and, and change zoning like this um, and flip it for a profit of you know, 30 something million dollars in a matter of a year and a half. Uh, again, I mean, it, it's hard to find another product out, out there that is gonna give you this sort of uh, uh, wealth building ability other than real estate. That's true. You know, the biggest issue that that person would have had to come across with the gas station is environmental issues yes. uh, because it's used the gas station for a long time. There's always some oil and gas and things like that that seep. There's always some contamination that has to be dealt with. 
but uh, you know, for forty million dollars, you'll dig it out and clean it up and remediate it and do what you got to do. And you know what? That's exactly what they do. They they hire a company and they come and they dig all the bad dirt out and they actually mm-hmm. take it off site. Right. They remediate it, and a lot of the times they'll just come fill it with different dirt that uh, isn't contaminated. Yeah. But you know, if if they're building a condo, they probably won't even fill it. They'll just leave no, it and and yeah, just they won't have digging, to, right? <laughs> right? They're digging so deep that they're going to get rid of all the contaminated soil, anyways, uh, to build the the footings, the foundation, everything for the building. So they, you know, if if they wanted to rebuild a you know a commercial plaza or something, it, it'd be different. It'd be different. But to, to, you know, they'd have to get rid of the soil and replace the soil and and stuff like that. But uh, that's that's an unbelievable turnaround. On a property so uh yeah and, and we see the, this sort of appreciation all the time it's you know it uh it, it happens every day you just have to um really know your product and, and have the right team to guide you uh through it but i yeah. mean you know we see this sort of appreciation all the time and it's all about you know being creative and, and knowing the best and highest use for the land well, that, that's sort of a, a good point. It's sort of a lead into what I want to get back and talk about. Um, you're a very sharp real estate guy. You've been, you're experienced. You, you know the ins and outs of the industry really well. I've dealt with you enough over the years. Um, you're also a very sharp businessman. But I know that, you know, and I'm not just stroking you by saying this. I know that, that you, you feel that, you think that way but you appreciate how you got there like that it's not all your own doing you've had some help along the way you've seen other examples you've had mentors that have shown you the way and you've learned from them and, I, and we started talking about this last week uh, last podcast didn't finish it i know we wanted to get back to it so uh, i know you want to tell us a little bit about some of the mentors that you've benefited from no, absolutely. And I mean, you know, it's a continuation from from last podcast, but part of that is because how important uh, mentors have been to uh, to to me in my in my in my business and personal life. And, um, you know, I've had three mentors that I really leaned on in a big way and all of them bring something different to the table. Um, uh, the first mentor that really made a big difference in my career. And I remember I met Matthew, I think in the first week while I had my real estate license, I was uh, fortunate to jump in and and do my first transaction uh, rather quickly. Um, And I remember I needed to do a home inspection. And this was 2007. And we were in the middle of um, a really busy real estate market in Toronto and everything was selling in multiple offers. And I remember I picked up an investor client and we did a home inspection prior to the offers presentation. And I reached out to my uh, broker of record at the time and I asked him who should I be using for home inspections and he gave me a card. I called Matthew and uh, Matthew and I have been extremely close ever since that first home inspection. Um, He's just an amazing wealth of knowledge when it comes to business, when it comes to home inspections. He's a former Uh, inspector for the city of Brampton before he started uh, his real estate inspection business. He's also an engineer from Poland. He has his engineer uh, degree. And I've been leaning on Matthew for the last 14 years. Any sort of time I have um, a a business question that involves discipline, money, 
Um, Matthew has been instrumental in sort of giving me guidance and advice along the way. Um, and I, I would, my career would be not where it is uh, if Matthew wasn't uh, in the picture uh, um, 1000%. So that, that's a relationship that I really value. Uh, you know, I admire his work ethic. I, I look up to him a lot and, and, and I draw a lot of strength uh, from my uh, relationship with him. Yeah, that, that's amazing. And, and it goes back, you know, to 2007, I think you said so. Yep. But no matter how far, you know, these far back, these lessons go, they stay with you. 1000. You don't think about it every day. You know, you probably didn't, you know, think about it in those terms until we said, okay, let's talk about mentors. And you're trying to think who your mentors are. But in the back of your head, it, these type of relationships stay with you. And these lessons are learned, whether you realize it at the time. And at some point you reflect back and you realize, you know, why do I do it this way? Or why do I think that way? And it's because of certain people in your lives, sometimes for a short period of time, sometimes they continue, but they really have a, a profound effect on you. And every single time I spend time with Matthew, be it at a home inspection or, or outside uh, the work environment, I learn, I absorb, I, I'm like a sponge, you know, he's just filled with so much experience and so many life lessons. And I, I just, I, I enjoy being around Matthew, just, just the stories he tells and, you know, the examples he gives and, and every single time he, he tells a story or he gives an example or he talks about an experience, I'm there absorbing, right? Learning, uh, uh, learning about code, learning about you know what you know what to do, learning about um, structure, learning about new type of materials, right? Right now, Matthew uh, is doing is converting a semi-detached home that he bought for one of his daughters into a um, a triplex, right? And and he's incorporating a lot of products from from Europe uh, into the design. So just you know, learning about lighting, learning about um, you know, the newest and, and, and trendiest construction uh, and, and how to do things and, and, and rules and zoning and regulations. It, it's just something that uh, um, really translates and helps me in my real estate business and helps me become a better leader to help my agents uh, guide their customers better. So um, I always approach all my mentoring relationships uh, as, a, as a learning opportunity, right? And, and, and I find that I get the most value and most yield uh, by, by approaching it that way. Well, interesting. Uh, you know, I've had the benefit of, of quite a, a number of, of different people in my life that I consider to be mentors uh, to some degree too. I mentioned my father uh, last podcast, uh, you know, the way he was and, and um, his ability to, to sell and, and things like that and, and run his business. Uh, another was my father-in-law, completely different type of business. But I met my father-in-law, I was 17 years old. He was a furniture manufacturer. And you'd walk into his factory and you could eat off the floor there. Like they're making kitchen sets and bar stools and bar sets. And the, like machinery, like you like you never believed, you know, grinding and sawing and all this stuff that I'd never understand. But you could eat off the floor. He ran such a good ship there organized you learn how to organize uh, by watching him and the way he was both in his office administratively and then in, in the plant it was unbelievable but he also uh, he was great at trusting good people to delegate authority 
to other people, to his plant manager, to his office manager, to his designers, to other people, let them do their job, find good people, empower them, let them do their job, give them the support they need. And I'd watch this and talk to him about it. And he didn't, I don't think he consciously thought about it that he was doing it, but this is just how, how he was. He just had this in, intuitive ability to lead a business and create a business that way. And we'd sit and talk sometimes and, and it's, you know, I, I didn't go in the furniture business, obviously, but so many of the things that we sat and talked about are things that are applicable to my law firm and that we try and do in our law firm. We, we hire great people. We try and empower them, let them do their job, let them feel good about their job, let them grow, let them, let's see where they want to be. They got issues. We got to support them. We have to evolve. We have to adapt. It, it doesn't matter what industry, you still have to take the same principles and, and apply them. And then, you know, when I did get into law, I was really fortunate, you know, my first job was with a, a fabulous uh, lawyer um, uh, named Marvin Damone, who hired me. Uh, he was a sole practitioner at the time, took me under his wing. Great man, fabulous um, uh, lawyer, like just careful, meticulous, and said, you know, you keep pushing on an issue. If you're right, you keep pushing on an issue, make sure it's right. Sometimes the, you got to convince the other lawyer to change it makes sure it's right. Whatever you want to do, you want it to be right. And taught me so many of the basic skills of how to be a lawyer. It was fabulous. And, and, and then moved to another firm, great senior lawyer there that took me under his wing. And eventually, you know, years ago, uh, almost 20 years ago, when I teamed up with uh, Jerry Corman. Uh, you know, Jerry, different approach to different things, but would learn different things with Jerry. Jerry's so good with people. Relationships. Uh, with clients, relationships with the, with the agents, with the clients that come in. Uh, he's one of the most personable guys and friendly guys and, and sort of reminder to me because sometimes I get so focused and get serious about getting my job done. I forget to, to relax and talk to people, <laughs> you know, and it's a people business. So you, you take different things from different people that you come across, right? It's not all, this is the way you do things. You got to take the good and the bad and see the good and bad and pick what's best. That That's the biggest thing I want to really impress upon our listeners is, um, you know, just because you admire somebody or somebody uh, becomes, takes on that mentorship position in your life, doesn't mean you have to structure and copy everything that they do, right? right. Take the best character, right. take, take what is applicable to you and lean on that and build on it and run with it. But you don't have to take everything they do and, and copy them exactly, right? Pick and choose. And there's different mentors in my life that I rely on different things. For example, Raymond Reicher. Um, I talked about Raymond a little bit last episode, but you know, Raymond is just like, I mean, this guy is just, he's just smart. You know, he's, he's a genius. Like when you talk to him, you can tell that his brain and his words are coming out like at different rates, right? Yeah. And, 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 you know, most people don't understand it, but him and I just, just click and get along so well. And, you know, he's taken me under his wing and, uh, you know, he's, I've known Raymond for about, you know, 15 years as well. And he's watched me grow, right? And he's watched me, you know, become an agent and become a successful agent and, you know, now become a business owner and, you know, I was leaning on his advice and support through a lot of the, um, 
issues of, of business ownership at the at the beginning and 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 now as well and you know his guidance was absolutely instrumental in 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 my career path right and just you know being able to lean on um, a guy with that much experience uh, and and that much business sheer business brilliance you know is 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 amazing, you know, and, and uh, I'm so lucky to be able to pick up the phone and, and call him and say, Raymond, what do you think about this? Raymond, what are your views on this? Raymond, how do you deal with, with this issue? And just, just, just the, the pure sound logical advice that I get, no sugar coating, you know, I, I call him up and he's like, well, this, she's an idiot, you know, this, and, and this is what it's supposed to be like, boom, straight to the point. And you're like, okay, now I have to, you know, take it out of his world, right? Because his world is like, you know, it's his way or the highway. And I have to translate it to my world, which is, you know, dealing with people all the time and uh, very different, but just having that ability just to pick up the phone and call him and, and get his viewpoint is, is makes such a big difference to uh, my confidence and, and how I deal with my issues and, and just uh, uh, being able to get that guidance. It's, it's been extraordinary. Yeah, and I think when we when when you think about it, when you, you look at these mentors that we've come across, we, we are looking at the good and the bad, right? We're, we're looking at both ways. And sometimes the good, like you said, is something that we might not be able to achieve ourselves because sometimes these people are on a certain level, they have a certain way of doing things, and no matter what, it's just not us, it's not our personality. But we still appreciate what they do, but then we got to find another way to try and achieve that or get the same results. Like I can't organize myself quite to the level that certain people I've come across did, or I can't think on the same level as certain people did. So you have to, you sort of realize your limitations to some degree too, but you got to find another way to get the results that you want and to lead your team the way you want. And, uh, but you have to be looking at everybody you come across um, in a critical way and, and take the best aspects of it and always try and grow and figure out how we do it. You know, there's nothing static about a law firm. There's nothing static about a real estate broker. You're like, look at how our respective firms have changed just so much in the last couple of years. Uh, they, they keep and changing and evolving and, and, and growing and bettering. And I mean, it's just, you know, what Sutton Summit has been able to accomplish in the last year is just amazing. You know, navigating COVID and, you know, um, you know, turnover of staff, right? And mm -hmm. and every single change we seem to be making is for the better, right? So, right. Um, you know, that comes with experience and having a strong, you know, having strong mentors behind you um, really gives you the confidence to move forward in a big way. And you're really leaning on their experience. And, and, and look, a lot of the issues that our businesses are facing, you know, other than COVID, COVID was, you know, a very, uh, different uh, aspect, right? But a lot of the business issues that our firms are facing have been dealt with before in some matter or capacity, right? So, uh, you know, employee issues, sales issues, regulatory issues, they're nothing new. They're, they're something that somebody else has experienced and you can lean and tap into that support and, and not make some of those mistakes um, and, and, and jump past them um, it's the right way of, of, of approaching those situations. Right. And it's nice to have those relationships that you can 
fall back to if you have to pick up the phone and speak to somebody else and get another viewpoint and sort of step out of things a little bit and, and you know, and get another viewpoint. You know, I really appreciate a lot, uh, you know, my partner's viewpoint on things, Jonathan uh, Hakoan, uh, you, you know, younger than me, like a different generation to, to some extent. Um, he, he sees the world a little bit differently than I do. And just because I've been around longer, that doesn't mean that my way is the right way or the way I view things is always the right way. And, and you know, talk about, you know, maybe, maybe I'm a bit of a mentor to him, but I look at him as a bit of a mentor to me still. You can learn from people that are younger than you. He's got a different energy, different viewpoint. Um, and the combination of us, I think, really works well because I can make him see certain things from my point of view. He makes, you know, I see it from his point of view. Sometimes we find a middle ground. Sometimes we convince each other that we should do his way or my way. But it's great to have that relationship and that trust of somebody else. Uh, it doesn't matter they're older than you or younger than you. It can still be a mentor to you to a certain degree, right? Oh, I mean, that's that's the key, right? And uh, I mean, your relationship with Jonathan is is uh, amazing, right? I mean, you guys both have um, a lot of strengths, but you have a lot of strengths that complement each other, which is why the relationship works and is is that much stronger. So. You know, um, I, I think Jonathan is an amazing partner and, and you know, on the firm under both your leadership has catapulted in, in, in a way that's just been amazing to, to watch, right? And uh, I think you guys are, are still, you know, um, a, a lot of road in front of you. And, and I, I think you guys are going to continue to grow and continue to evolve and change in, in a big way. And, you know, I really look forward to uh, being part of that journey as well with you guys, for sure. Well, thanks. It's very nice of you to say. And, uh, you know, and there's never an end to it. It's, it's always, you know, as soon as we get something done, there's always the next thing, which is, which is a good thing. It keeps you excited, keeps yeah. you challenged. In your business, look how, how Sutton Summit's grown. The all the new things, the new training you're doing, the the addition of new uh, uh, people. It seems like every day there's somebody new joining your team. Uh, yeah. you, and as you evolve and get these systems in, in the training and everything else, it gives you the ability to recruit and recruit good people. Like it's everybody can recruit people that aren't so good. I can tell you the applicants we had to join us as as lawyers and law clerks that we've gone through in the last six weeks or eight weeks like it's a, a lot of people applying um but we you know we've hired three lawyers that are starting uh, in, in the next couple of weeks and we're really excited by them and and it's they're, they're you know we didn't take the first three that showed up that's for sure that we went through quite a critical process yeah um, and we're fortunate to be in that position and you too you're not taking every real estate agent you know every part-time real estate agent that wants to you know, that wants to move over there, right? You're, you're looking for the good people. Yeah, we're really taking our time hiring agents and, and we're hiring the right ones, right? I mean, uh, there's a big learning curve when, when you hire a realtor. There's, you know, it takes an extraordinary amount of resources to teach them uh, to make sure that they're practicing the right way, right? Um, and uh, those resources are not unlimited. Like, I mean, our brokerage has a limited amount of resources, right? So we, uh, we've been turning some agents away recently. They're just uh, not, not a great fit. And, and again, we're very cognizant of the culture, right? So we, we want the best agents. 
right? When, when a customer deals with any Sutton Summit agents, we want them to have the absolute best experience. And it takes a certain agent to achieve that. And, you know, lately we've been very cognizant of that and we've been uh, turning some, some people away. Not that we want to, but, um, you know, we're looking for the best, right? We, we, we want to hire the best agents and we want to give the agents that we do hire the right training, the right support, and, and allocate the right resources to make sure that they're successful. And, and we can't do that if we hire, um, you know, every part-time realtor out there, right? We, we will we'll do more babysitting and, and we'll be allocating resources where we shouldn't be allocating resources. Right. And, and there are other business models that don't do it that way. Right. Of course. And, and you know, law firms too, like, uh, you know, there's still law firms out there that, you know, will hire, you know, 10 articling students knowing that they're only going to at best hire one or two of those back, or maybe it's three, whatever their number is. And then they're going to hire those three as associate lawyers, knowing that a year or two down the road, they're probably going to get rid of all three of them. Uh, maybe two, maybe one will actually stick, but they're in the business of doing that. And, and, and they, you know, they're looking for the diamond in the rough. Um, that, that might stick but in the meantime they get serviced by this this turnover of young lawyers and everything we certainly don't want to do that like we every time we hire someone we're trying to hire them for life it doesn't always work out that way but we but we want to take that approach right and and i think it's good for you too there's a lot of brokerages out there that'll anybody that applies will take them in uh you know i deal with one brokerage now you know you know they've got over i don't know eight or nine hundred agents or something like that. But when you really break it down, how many are active agents um, that are really doing something, really making a living and not just being spit out and turned over, but you know, they just have a different model and they'll hire a hundred a year, hoping that they find three or four good ones. Right. That's and, certainly not how we do it. You know, we're, we're very careful with our interviewing process. And again, culture is the biggest thing at Sutton Summit Realty. And we just want to make sure that the people that we're hiring um, are a really good culture fit, right? Because, you know, it's easy to uh, throw in one bad apple right into the mix that really disrupts uh, uh, how we do things. And um, that's that's really the one thing we, we want to avoid the most. Right. And, and our approach is like that too. Like, you know, do, we, do you want a job or do you want a career? And, and that's what we're looking for. We want people joining us, whether it's as a law clerk, administrative, accounting, or as a lawyer. Are you looking for a career? Are you looking to help build something? You know, like our firm isn't finished. It's continuing to evolve. It's continuing to grow. Do you want to be part of the development of this firm and have a place to call your own? And that's that's the approach that uh, that Jonathan and I've been taking when we when we meet people and interview people, and sometimes we meet some very qualified people, but you can tell they're just looking for a job for a year or two, and then they might you know put it on their resume and then move on, and that's not what uh, what we want. It's not what we're looking for. Uh, you know, we want you know like I want to find the next every candidate I look. I want to find the next Jonathan Hakon to join our firm. I want everyone to be like him. You know, like that's what I'm looking for. You know, it's hard to do that in a, in a big, half hour interview. Big, those are big and colorful shoes to fit. <laughs> but until they develop cloning, we're going to have to continue with the interview process. <laughs> we can't clone them. But if we had a whole bunch like him, we'd, we'd be flying. You guys would be doing well. Yeah. Um, 
the the last mentor I want to mention um, is uh, Sean Shake, and I met Sean I think five or six years ago. Um, he came to see one of my listings I had for sale, and here is a guy in a three piece suit, you know, just dressed to the nines, comes in. And I'm like, who is this guy? And I remember um, he ended up putting an offer. And that first initial sit down meeting was over four hours in length. We just, you know, we started talking about sales. We started talking about, um, you know, our career paths, we started talking about real estate. And you know what, we've been inseparable since. And I've traveled the world with Sean, I, I went to Dubai, I went to Thailand, I went to Pakistan. And Sean has introduced me to uh, just a phenomenal group of people. Just to give you an example, uh, one of his best friends, um, got the current prime minister of Pakistan elected into power and is, is a huge, you know, just a huge um, business influence in, in Pakistan. And, uh, you know, I traveled the world with this, this whole group of people. And I remember being in Thailand, sitting on a beach um, and looking over at uh, Shazad, who is, you know, uh, like what the head of this most influential business uh, group in, in Pakistan. And I said to him, Shazad, you travel like 90% of the time and, and yet you have this huge business. I said, how do you do it? And I, I remember this is just when I was about to take over Sutton Summit Realty. And he looks at me and he's like, if you don't have people that you can trust running your business, he's like, then you're going to have no life. And he's like, you have to make a decision. Do you want to have a life and maybe make 80% of what you can make? Or do you want to go in there? And trust me, if you go in there, you're going to have to spend 95% of your time in there and look at everything. And then you're going to make 15% more money. Like, what do you want? Do you want to have this business or do you want to have this business? And he's like, you have to make that choice very early on. Um, otherwise, you can't do it both ways. So, you know, just having those type of people around you that you can lean on for, for support and you can tap into their knowledge and their resources and how they do things is just absolutely instrumental. And that, you know, that's a conversation I had with him uh, on the beaches in Thailand um, as I was going through the process of, of buying Sutton Summit. Um, and, you know, uh, I mean, I'm, I didn't take his advice fully, but I'm always keeping his advice in the back of my head, knowing that, um, you know, there, there are pros and cons to both approaches. Right. And, uh, you know, and that's a great example of take you trying to take the best advice of what works for somebody else and see how it fits in your own business and your own lifestyle and, uh, and run with it uh, that way. So it's, uh, it's amazing. Well, I think it was, it was a great topic when you suggested a couple of weeks ago that we discussed some mentors and everything it, it gave uh, you know, probably both of us, it's sort of, you know, it's a, it's a cleansing thing. It's a good thing to go back and think about some of these people and how they've affected you and um, interesting. So I hope, anyways, I hope whoever's watching this finds it interesting too. 
Uh, I know we don't have a lot of time left. I, I did want to um, bring up a couple examples. We've talked in, in some past podcasts about buyer's remorse and seller's remorse. Um, so I just wanted to, to explain a couple of scenarios that we came across, which are pretty good examples of, uh, of what happens with it. And so, so the first one is a, a seller sells a, a house um, and, and shortly afterwards realizes, you know, market's going up, maybe under, undersold it by a certain amount. Now, the seller happened to be a licensed real estate agent that wasn't active and parked the license, but had been active for a while and now just wasn't active and, you know, sold the, the, the property, you know, everything was done and everything. Um, never mentioned that uh, he, he's an owner of a bunch of different homes in Canada and overseas as well. Um, then had seller's remorse who thought he could get another $100,000 or more out of the property, looking for a way to get out of it. And saw that he, you know, he all of a sudden he says, you know, well, my wife never signed the spousal consent. So it's not a binding agreement of purchase and sale. It turns out it's a matrimonial home, which he never disclosed in anything that it was his matrimonial home or that consent was needed. But that was a way that he was apparently looking to get out of the transaction. So as you know, people listening to this may or may not know, uh, you can't sell a matrimonial property without getting the consent. If only the husband is on title, let's say, the husband can't sell it without getting the wife's consent. And the reason for that is to protect the wife. So you can't sell your matrimonial home, you can't mortgage your matrimonial home without the non-titled spouse consenting. So you can't, so the wife can't come home one day and the husband says, oh, honey, you sold the house, you know, pack up, you know, I'm taking the money and you're moving somewhere else. Like it's really her protection under the Family Law Act that you, you can't do it. So anyways, this, it, it became apparent this guy was doing it just looking for an excuse to get out. And he should have known better, would be held to a higher standard for sure. Just because um, he's a licensed realtor. Licensed realtor. So uh, now if he wasn't a licensed realtor, his realtor would have had an obligation to still you know, ask the right questions. Is this a matrimonial house? Do we need disposal consent? In this case, you know, he, he probably would have lied and said, no, it's not a matrimonial house, no spousal consent required, sells it, and then is trying to use that as an excuse. Oh, yeah, we did need spousal consent. Therefore, the, you know, the agreement's null and void, and I can sell to somebody else for $100,000 more. So, you know, the buyer obviously wasn't very happy with this and was, you know, threatening litigation, etc. Uh, now, ultimately, the parties ended up settling. So, I, just as it turns out, the buyer found another property they liked better and decided to just move on and give a release and, and got their full deposit monies back. And the seller was able to do what he wanted with it. But it would have been interesting if this one would have gone to court uh, because I, I think, you know, we talked about, uh, it's not just the strict rule of law and, and, and what the printed agreement says and how you complete it, which is really important in real estate law, but also parties have to act in good faith. And this would have been clearly an example of an agent or a former agent knowing better, should have known better, probably held to a higher standard and just looking for a way to get out. So, you know, it's the type of case you sort of would have wanted to go see a court to see how a judge would have probably hammered them. <laughs> to, to get other people to stop looking for a technical way out of a transaction. Because the trend in the law is, is to, 
to go that way. You know, parties have to still have an element of good faith in their transactions or they're not going to be successful. If, uh, if the buyer didn't want to release the seller from that transaction, sign a mutual release, how would the legalities work if um, spousal consent wouldn't be signed for a matrimonial property? Well, it's sort of interesting because the it's really the wife of the seller that could be objecting to the transaction. Right. She's the one that sort of has to come along and say, hey, you can't sell this house. I'm not consenting to it. I don't want to consent right. to it. She could go to court to get an order to stop the transaction from going. It's not really the husband who was trying to you know, do some hanky panky here. It's really, you know, his wife that had the ability to stop the transaction, but ultimately a judge would look into it. And they'd look at all the facts and all the communication and everything that happened. And did the, did the spouse know about it? Was she in, was she party to this? Did she, you know, are they just really relying on this? So it, it's hard to know how it ultimately would have turned out without knowing all the, you know, the details of all the communication and never really got that way. But if this goes to court, you know, that's what's going to be flushed out on discoveries. You know, what did the wife know? What was her involvement? You know, but if she legitimately didn't know anything and, and didn't want it sold, it, it'd be different. But I don't think this was a house that she was living in and he was trying to sell out from under her. This was a, a you know, a property that about, and he was just trying to take advantage of, of the situation. I think specifically saying, you know what, honey, don't sign this because if we get another offer, we might have a way to not go ahead with this one and get and take a better offer. Yeah. And if that's if that's what turns out to be the reality, once you get them under oath and everything, I think they get hammered. Yeah, I agree. David, I'm going to stop you right there. I think this is a great topic for next week. Uh, maybe we should talk about Matrimonial Homes, podcast number 10. All right. <laughs> well thank you everybody for tuning in and, and listening with us today and, and spending your hour with us as always i don't know where the time goes dave when we have these conversations but we've been an hour in and uh wow. you know we're, we're we're all having a good time so thank you very much for for listening and tuning in and uh again i encourage everybody out there to become a mentor and uh, if you're looking to join a brokerage or if you're looking to uh, pursue a career in law, the person that you hire or, or you, you make a decision to join, you know, that mentorship aspect has to come into the play, right? And I would strongly encourage people to either become a mentor or to really look at your career opportunities and, and look at it like, if I join this company, is there an opportunity to, to have somebody there that I feel comfortable um, mentoring with, right? Because I think it has to be a large part of your decision-making process. Yeah, I agree 100%. And there's a benefit in a mentor relationship. There's a benefit to both sides. 100%. You might be the mentor to somebody else, but you might be learning from them at the same time by understanding where they're coming from. And it improves you as a mentor as well. So it's a two-way street. It works in, in, as a, in real estate brokerage. It works in law firms. It's the same concept, same principles. And I think we, we think alike that way and, and encourage everybody to be a mentor and take advantage of mentors. 1,000%. All right, everybody. Thank you for spending the hour with us, and we'll see you next week. Stay safe, everybody. Have fun. Bye. Enjoy the weather. <laughs>